Welcome to This Week in the Bear Cave, everyone. I'm your host, Dennis Zerl, and this week we are sponsored by Abode Real Estate, your professional real estate advisors in Colorado Springs and Teller County, the historic Butte Theater in Cripple Creek, bringing you the best melodrama productions in the United States, In the Shadow Designs, the place where your custom creations are made for all occasions, and Peak Washing, LLC, the pressure washing professionals for that dirty job. I hope that everyone is having a good week so far. I'm kind of taking it alone this week between illnesses and work conflicts. It seems like a good week to just regroup and uh, take life on life's terms, I suppose. But no worries. We do have some guests coming in today. We've got Victor Main Street Manager Kim Loddick coming into the show today to kind of catch up and see what kind of happenings are going on in Victor. I know Teller County in general has been a pretty busy place the last couple of weeks. And we also have the Director of Marketing for the Rocky Mountain Vibes, our friend Kay Goodell, coming in with the Vibes Report. Next week, we have Catherine Nakai coming into the Bear Cave. It's been a while since she's come in, and I'm sure we'll have a nice chat with her. The first week of September, we have Carrie Dell stopping by. Really looking forward to talking with her about uh, some of the things she's got going on. Now, not to my surprise, we did get some reactions and some mail from our interview with Florissant Fire Rescue Interim Chief Eric Holt last week. Uh, Most of it was actually positive, but uh, there are those who didn't really want to take us up on our offer to come into the show. Uh, at least the first part of the week. But uh, since then, we've gotten some some email from people. And I got a lot of information about the whole Florissant Fire Protection District and, you know, the disgruntled people. And a large variety of complaints and letters I got came from signatures that said, angered citizen. Uh, what am I supposed to do with that? Angry messages and pointing fingers about illegalities and things of that nature. It's like, look, I'm not the view. I'm not uh, face the nation or Howard Stern, or any of that kind of stuff. But anyway, just uh, want to let you people know that we do get your mail, and we appreciate it, whether it's positive or negative. But, uh, yeah, it's become an emotional topic out there. And as they say in the Mountain Enquirer, somewhere in the middle, the truth lies. But uh, I guess we'll find out. I guess the bottom line for me is that the people who are in place at the moment, are they professionals, and are they serving the community? Anything else and stuff that happened in the past, although it does sort of apply to today's ongoings. Um, I'm not really an archaeologist, so I just kind of leave that stuff in the past where it belongs. Anyway, to be continued. And of all the professionals that I have had contact with or the letters that have stated that professionals live out there and have concerns, there were scientists and teachers and doctors and lawyers and all that kind of stuff. Not one of them was a firefighter, which seems kind of odd to me. So I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying that uh, let's get a full perspective on all this and then let it go. We'll just move on with our lives, right? And hopefully the people who are in charge, either on the board or the firefighters or the chief, are serving to the best of their ability and to the interests of the community. But uh, anyway, that's all I'm going to say about that, but I do appreciate you listening. Well, there's a few stories that caught my attention this week, and first one is no surprise, and that is that Dr. Fauci, yep, Dr. Fakey himself, is finally calling it quits. Yep, insert applause here. He said that he's leaving federal service in December. I don't know why he's waiting so long. I mean, most of us are ready for him to go now. He's been in federal service for, I don't know, 100 years or something like that. But the guy has been around since the 1980s, beginning with the Ronald Reagan administration. And uh, at that time, he was involved with the emerging HIV and AIDS epidemic and West Nile virus, all that kind of stuff. But what he said, he said, I'm particularly proud to have served as the chief medical advisor to President Joe Biden since the very first day of his administration. Yeah, I bet you did, because uh, I'm sure that Donald gave you some raspberries while you were trying to uh, talk to him. Well, I guess that's the case, since no other presidents actually listen to your lies and you fleecing the American people for so long of our 
hard-earned taxpayer dollars, right? Well, Sniffy called Fauci an American hero and a dedicated public servant and a steady hand with wisdom and insight. Whether you've met him personally or not, he has touched all Americans' lives with his work. I extend my deepest thanks to his public service and for his public service. Well, Sniffy, he did touch all Americans' lives, that's for sure. In fact, he touched them so deeply that he was partially responsible for almost destroying several industries and destroying businesses with lockdowns and mask mandates along with his cohort, the sham CDC. He is responsible for lying to Congress about the gain-of-function research and lying about the effectiveness of masks. And he was not wearing one at a baseball game. We saw all those pictures, right? Uh, let's see. He was, uh, oh yeah, he was also responsible for passing information to the Chinese government from the National Institute of Health, allowing Chinese spies or military people in the Chinese army to work there without really vetting anyone. Yep, Fakey, you are responsible for a lot of things. And I'm betting that sometime in 2023, after the November elections, that Rand Paul is going to be waiting in the wings if the Republicans do take the House and the Senate. So let the investigations begin. It's only getting started for you. But uh, I really liked his parting comment. It was, uh, I plan to pursue the next phase of my career while I still have so much energy and passion for the field. Uh, guess that means disappearing to your island retreat somewhere or working as a contractor for the Chinese government, maybe? Well, thank you. All I can say is bon voyage, and it can't come soon enough. And uh, hey, by the way, maybe you can take Skeletor with you while you're at it. <laughs> you can go right along with him. Well, leaving Mr. Fakey behind, here's another one for you. Apparently, self-appointed U.S. ambassador to the world and alcohol connoisseur Dennis Rodman plans to travel to Russia to aid in Brittany Griner's release after she was sentenced to nine years in prison for possession of cannabis and or cannabis products. Now, you know, no matter what we think about that sentence, which is unusually harsh by American standards, the fact is, is that she copped to it and knew that she was breaking the law, broke the law, and is now doing time for it. But this is getting really good. He said, uh, I got permission to go to Russia to help that girl. What? That girl? You mean Brittany Griner? There's a lot of that girls over there. Well, at this point, it's not really clear what permission Rodman actually received or who gave it to him. I know the U.S. has travel advisories in regards to flying to Russia and encouraging Americans not to go there. They're just saying, hey, don't, don't go there because there's uh, all kinds of bad things that are happening to American citizens. So the only conclusion I can come to is that he has gotten a visa from Russia in order to travel there. And uh, I like Rodman added that he knows Putin too well. Hey, his words. Look, Mr. Self-Appointed Ambassador, this is not Kim Jong-un we're talking about here. You're not going there to drink booze with the fattest guy in North Korea and talk hoops about your former glory days gone by. And in this case, I don't think he's going to be able to take credit for the release of Brittany Griner if that actually happens, as he did for American Kenneth Bay. Then again, Vlad may have other ideas to make Sniffy look bad, and you got the right person in place. If Vlad the Impaler does meet with him, it's going to be some good PR for him and a chance to exploit the U.S., which Vlad, he'll do using this, this circus clown, the circus act that's happening. And uh, if he does, he may get an audience before he's dismissed without Griner, but uh, I don't think that Vlad is going to play a game of horse with you while you're there and talk some hoops. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's just Rodman's weak attempt to get involved in Griner's ordeal or, you know, whatever reason he has. Even Sniffy's own Department of State isn't too keen on the idea. It could possibly screw up any deals that they have in the works already, so who knows, Dennis, maybe you just stay home, drink your cheap booze, put on that wedding dress that you love so much, and enjoy the nightlife in Las Vegas. We don't need you to make things worse, and he has no idea what he's walking into. Jeez, enough already. Well, lastly, if you've missed the news or you haven't seen it for a while, there's a guy by the name of Alex Jones. Does anyone know who Alex Jones is? Well, let me tell you. This is the scumbag radio host who starts conspiracy theories of all kinds about all types of things. And he runs the, I think it's the popular alt-right webpage called InfoWars. I don't know if any people have ever seen that. But this is the same scumbag who said that Timothy McVeigh was not responsible for the bombing of the federal government building in Oklahoma City back in 1995, I think it was. But that it was the federal government themselves who caused it. This is the kind of stuff that's coming out of this guy's pie hole. 
Well, it all came to a head when he claimed that the mass killing at Sandy Hook Elementary was a hoax and that those who participated in the hoax were all actors and that the 20 children and six adults who were killed was all a lie. Yeah, this is what he said. Well, that all ended last week when he was ordered by a jury to pay more than $45 million to the parents of one of those victims. Now he's claiming bankruptcy and he's on the air talking like he's some kind of a, you know, telethon prosperity television is trying to raise money to pay for all of his lies. And in addition, word has it that he transferred about $3 million in Texas real estate to his wife right before this whole ordeal began, before he had to go see the judge. You know, if I was her, I'd take that money and go to the Bahamas and never look back at this fool, but uh, hey, who knows? Well, you know what? It's guys like you, Alex, who keep running their mouth holes about stupid conspiracies that are the real enemies of the United States. You know, I hope this follows you for the rest of your life. The thing that gets me about this guy is that he even tried to lie in the stand in front of a judge who reprimanded him saying he was under oath. You just can't stop lying. Your ego will be your undoing, Alex. You know, honestly, I say shame on you for causing so much damage and stress on those parents who lost those children. You know, too bad he can't serve time in the hole where he actually belongs. But uh, but to have the actual balls to sit there and lie in front of a judge as you're trying to cover up other lies upon lies upon lies is just amazing to me. And he just he just wouldn't back down. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen, I think, on a on a lawsuit like this. I mean, it makes uh, makes Amber Heard and Johnny Depp pale by comparison by the, some, some of the stuff that this guy has done. But uh, anyway, like I said, too bad. You can't serve time in the hole where you belong. I think even the bear pile's too good for this guy, but I'm sure that uh, it would give people great pleasure to watch him get torn apart limb by limb. But uh, man, what a scumbag. But the thing that gets me the most, not the fact that this guy continues to lie, but the ignorant people actually believe this clown. I mean, good Lord, wake up, people. Just can't fix stupid. Well, just leave that one right there. When we come back, we'll be talking to Victor Main Street manager, Kim Lodick. So don't go away. You know, moving can be stressful. I know. I've moved 13 times in 20 years and I've lived in four different states. When it finally came time to move back to Colorado, Woodland Park and Taylor County were our target locations. But before I moved back home, I was looking for a real estate broker who understood and had experience with military families and knew the area well. I found Abode Real Estate and Joshua Dorsey. I called Josh right away and it only took 35 days to not only find our forever home, but to close and move into it. Josh understood exactly what we were looking for, because he's a common sense person and knows a good deal from a bad one. He'll make every effort to make sure you get the home that you absolutely want and love. As your real estate advisor, Josh will focus on client satisfaction. His business is about service and he's not happy until you're happy. Whether it's finding you a home, finding the best loan, or helping you get the most out of selling your home, Josh is there to guide you. So if you're considering a real estate professional, give Josh a call today at 719-433-4773 or email him at joshua at csabode.com. That's J-O-S-H-U-A at C-S-A-B-O-D-E.com. I'm confident that you will be completely satisfied. I'm Dennis Zerl, and my guest this week is Victor Main Street Manager Kim Lodick. Kim, how are you? Dennis, I'm doing really well. How are you? Good. Now, the uh, the last time we talked, I think it was before our big uh, Guinness Book of World Records, and you were on vacation back back east, right? Yeah, it was wild to be on vacation at that time, but the event happened. They smashed some homers, which is the official verbiage there. Smashed some windshields, too. Only one. As far as I, <laughs> what I heard was just the ambulance. Only the ambulance got a, got a smashed windshield, and I think they had a really good attitude about it. It was a news vehicle, but here's the thing. It's like you get this big jacked up baseball dude. And he lets go of the bat and it goes flying out of the field over the top of the dugout and sticks into the center of the windshield. To me, that's awesome. I, that's what I was going to say. 
say I'm, that's kind of better that it happened than it didn't happen. It, well, hey, th- that's the uh, the business, right? Those are the risks that you take when you're out there reporting for the people. But but yeah, it seemed like the event went off well, and uh, everybody seemed to ha- really have a good time. And Victor, I got uh, I, I didn't have a chance to follow up with Ernie or uh, Tex, as we call him, but uh, it sounds like to me that it was a great event. And uh, man, I hope it comes back next year. I hope so too. He has some really cool ideas about how it might come back and how he might work on ways to compete with you know the only world record organization in the world right now, which is Guinness. Yeah, we'll just have to see what shapes up for next year. What I what I had talked about with him is the possibility of doing a women's softball world record, longest home run world record next. So we'll see what happens there. I have high hopes that that can be something that we do annually, um, home run derby. Whether or not we can establish the world record here in Victor, we do have a huge field at a high elevation. I would love to see the ladies get involved with that because I've watched college softball before and I'm telling you what, these women can jack that ball over the fence a long, long way. He brought something else up and I think I was talking to Trevor about this too and that is that the history behind the gold bowl, uh, that could possibly be one of the oldest fields in the United States. I'm just wondering if anybody has actually looked into that history. I mean, you remind me of my goal with this show is to look into some of weird Victor history, and that would be a good piece for me to look into, Dennis. Yeah, I mean, certainly it's got to be one of the oldest fields, if not the oldest field in Colorado and possibly west of the Mississippi. But uh, yeah, let's get on that one. That, that would be a good one to find out. It might be the oldest and the highest, maybe both. Yeah, for sure. You probably have the highest hockey rink in all of America. I'm certain that we do. I would have to call Leadville and ask them if they have a hockey rink. Yeah, not yet, right? I don't think they do yet. Yeah, we want to be number one up here. But uh, anyways, speaking of Victor, the last time I was up, I was kind of kicking around, talking to some local business people and new people that come into town. And they have some exciting ideas for Victor. And a lot of it is springboarding off of what happens with that hotel in Chamonix. And to me, it's really super exciting because Victor right now, in, in my view, is right for a big change. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that. term that comes to my mind over and over again, I guess what I'm kind of working with is paradigm shift. Uh-huh. I think we are right on the edge of some really exciting, I wouldn't call huge changes. I would call appropriate changes that have just been waiting for the right time. Victor is very uniquely located. We're a little bit off the beaten path. That's kind of our tourism plug word or tagline. We're a little bit off with capital OFF, the beaten path. We've all seen that around. We're situated well enough away from Cripple Creek that we are our, our own community. We're definitely not a bedroom community for, for Cripple Creek. Completely different vibe here, but we're both situated an hour away from any major population centers. It makes it challenging and exciting to be able to, to build an, an economic and business district and community that's super duper unique and beautiful. So right now we have some very interesting businesses that are erupting on Victor Avenue. We have the Victor's Artist Co-op, which is a cooperative. It's a, a nonprofit cooperative. The artists who sell their art in the co-op actually work the front desk as well. So they have a certain structure that they've, that they've landed on that for so many hours per week, they can display their art. Now that's fairly new, right? No, the artist co-op has been doing what it does since about 2015, but it's been, it's had to build up its involvement slowly because it's different. They don't employ anybody. It's a trade. And so it's had to build up slowly, but where it's at right now is amazing. They've built slowly, but they've done it appropriately and they've done it in a way that I think is going to serve their success because they're not dependent on any one or few people. It's a large network of artists that operate the shop. So it's really, it's very unique. It follows a structure that other art co-ops have done, like the Common Wheel down in Manitou has a similar structure. And there's also the Twin Flame Gallery, which has recently opened and displays some very famous local artists' work. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking about. It was raining and I didn't have a chance to get over there. So that's that's my next stop I've got to make. Uh, yeah, maybe this weekend, who knows? Your timing is good, Dennis, because September in Victor is popping. Absolutely. Absolutely slammed with a lot of really cool stuff. Hold that thought for just a second and we'll, we'll get back to it because uh, kind of what I want to talk about, what excites me is talking to some of these new business owners that are coming in is that they have a pretty clear plan and a vision for what they think Victor can become. And uh, I've noticed over the last couple of years since I've been here is that Victor is becoming more kind of an arts location. There's some exciting new shows coming there and it's just kind of developing organically into one of these cool places 
places that you want to see if you're done gambling or doing whatever you're going to do is, hey, let's pop over to Victor and take a breather for a second, you know? Yeah. And a lot of people come up to Victor and don't care at all about going over to gamble because what's going on in Victor is so unique. Yeah. And you said something that stuck in my mind too, is that it is a completely different vibe. It's a whole lot more, a whole lot more laid back than Cripple Creek is, you know, which I really like about it. Yeah, me too. Well, let's talk about September. What are some of the events that are coming up? There's some big stuff happening. First weekend in September, Labor Day weekend, is Victor Celebrates the Arts, VCTA, where artists come from seriously all over, especially the Four Corner states, but even further than that, and and do several competitive challenges and paint Victor at various perspectives. They don't know what perspectives they're going to be challenged to rise to until they get here. For example, last year, one of the competitions was from inside looking out, and so artists were challenged to paint a scene from inside a building of their choice looking out the windows. So that's just an example. They don't bring any work that's already done. All the work that goes up for sale during VCTA is done on site. The next week, we have the annual Packborough race, and that is about a seven-mile race from downtown Victor, out and around, up on some of our trail systems and beyond, on Little Grouse, much Big Grouse, and then back around, and they finish off back in downtown Victor. It's about a total of seven miles, not riding the burrows, but packing the burrows and running alongside them. It's a personal endurance challenge and a challenge working with donkeys who have a particular reputation for being sometimes stubborn. So that's a super fun event. That's like donkey derby a race on steroids. Yeah, it is. Because the course that they're up against is not easy. Are these the same donkeys or burrows that were used? in the race at Donkey Derby Day or is this a different organization? No, different organization. The, the racers come and provide their own their own donkey. So it, it's, it's all over. The Western Packboro Association uh, manages and promotes this event, finds it and manages the registration and everything. And, and the donkeys that are involved do go through a, a um, vetting process. They race all the time. They're pretty well trained. Probably still pretty stubborn though. Maybe even more stubborn because they're training. This is like a thing, right? I mean, it's like, who knew? This has been going on for quite some time. It's the sixth year in Victor, but the Western Packboro Association has been managing races like this all over state at least, but I want to say it's the Western states, several states that the association um, manages races for. I had no idea. I mean, it's like this organized event, and don't they have something like that up in Leadville too? They have something similar to that, right? Yeah, it's very similar. Man, seven miles at 10,000 feet? That's, uh, I can see how challenging that would be, and I can only imagine the people who are bringing their own gear so to speak, and their own animals. That's no joke. These are major athletes, incredible athletes, and it's really fun to gather at the start and watch them take off. After the Packboro race to talk about, and that's the Rocky Mountain Rambler 500. Aha! Uh-huh. And the Rocky Mountain Rambler 500, it's a car show, for lack of a better term. It's a car show like no other car show that you've ever seen. A Rambler car cannot be more valuable than $500, except for when it comes to safety of the vehicle. There's a very rigorous requirement for safety of the vehicle. Everybody in the team has to have a safety belt. There has to be a fire extinguisher, a first aid kit, several other things on the list that are required to be a Rocky Mountain Rambler. And what they do, they come to Victor and they do a car show. And these cars are, I couldn't even explain if I tried. <laughs> Look like because they're all over the map. You know, they're junkers. And so they might as well go all out when it comes to making their car look however they want. Some of these cars look like off-road junkers. Some of them look like Jurassic Park tour buses. Some of them look like, I mean, I can't even explain. And in Victor, they'll do a car show on Saturday, and that'll be pretty much throughout the day. And then they will take off and, and do a ramble through several hundred miles, I think. I don't even know what their route is this year, but the whole point and how this event came to be in the first place was that a few guys decided, let's take our junker cars on a, on a drive around Colorado today and see how much trash we can take because any of us who have taken any of our byways, any of our beautiful roads through these mountains, we've all seen it, where people dump off their trash and just leave it. These cars don't race. Their competition is who can gather the most trash. And so they're all really focused on finding these pockets of garbage on these beautiful roads and packing it up with them. It's September 16th through the 18th. I'm on that one. And then the, the last weekend in September and the first weekend in October will be the Aspen Leaf Tours. Well, we'll be on those Saturday and Sunday. You'll be able to pick up the kit. You can do the tour and drive around whenever you want. Yeah, so don't try to bribe anybody and get it, you know, get the stuff early. It ain't, ain't going to happen. Right. <laughs> like, what if I go to Gold Camp and buy you a loaf of bread? Can I get some some insight? It's like, nope, go away. Oh, I 
that bribe's pretty good. That's a good bribing bribing tool. So. <laughs> well, it's not like you're, you know, like we're buying votes or anything like that. We're just trying to get, uh, you know, give the brother a hand here. <laughs> also, that weekend of September 24th is going to be the Victor Steampunk Foray and Exhibition. Yeah, that's been getting a lot of attention lately. I've seen a lot of that on social media and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of into that whole whole scene. Steampunk is all about innovation and rebellion, honestly. So it's, it's all about developing things, inventing things, doing things that are a little bit outside the box. Sort of steampunk erupted accidentally in the Victorian era. And so for reasons and more, the steampunk culture and Victor fit together so very well. Now, now who's hosting that? The Victor Tourism Board, which is the same people who manage the Black Monarch Hotel and the Best Little Boarding House. While we're on it, the at the end of September and the beginning of October, the Victor Little Thomas Museum is hosting downtown walking tours. And the best information on the on those is going to be VictorLittleThomasMuseum.com or the Facebook page. And they are also hosting cemetery tours. And both of these tours are going to focus a little bit on the eerier side of things in Victor and the cemetery. I don't know what subject matter they're getting into, but they're going to be very interesting tours. You know, that's one place I... It's, it's a love-hate relationship with me and the uh, Victor Lowe Thomas Museum because every time I go in there, I find a new book that, that Mark hands me and says, hey, have you read this one? I'm like, oh man, all right, I'm going to buy it. So now I, I have like six books I still need to read. But uh, man, I tell you, if, if there's one place to go and just hang out for a little while and get a bunch of information and learn about history, that's the place to go. To me, it's it's an eerie little place. It's kind of, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's so cool that, uh, you know, it's a must-see thing. You got to go there. The information that you can get out of the tours that they host and the museum itself and the books that they sell, Mark is just a wealth of knowledge. He's amazing what he knows. That guy is in the know for sure. And if you haven't taken one of his tours, you're missing out. If you haven't taken all of the tours, then you're missing out. I'm, I'm down with that for sure. For more information on the, the downtown walking tours of Victor and the cemetery tours in September and October will be available available on the Victor Little Thomas Museum Facebook page or their website. So plenty of stuff to do if you're uh, kind of hunkering around waiting for an, an early winter, which I hope doesn't come, but it's kind of looking that way. Plenty of places to go, and you got to go to the coolest place in Teller County, and for me, that's always Victor. Thanks, Dennis. All right, Kim, well, I appreciate you coming back into the Bear Cave and on the Bear Cave Hotline, and like we talked about before, we're going to get you inside the Bear Cave here very shortly, hopefully in the next few weeks, and uh, sit down and have a chat. That's my goal, Dennis. We'll see you in a few weeks here in the Bear Cave. And uh, until then, just uh, keep doing those good works that you're doing right now because uh, Victor's going to grow and it's going to be the place that uh, people are going to want to go to for sure. We're working on it, Dennis. Thanks for your support and we'll see you. Absolutely. Thanks, Kim. We'll talk to you soon. That was our friend, Victor Main Street Manager Kim Lodick. And um, I'm telling you right now, if you haven't been up to Victor for a while, go on up there. There's plenty of stuff to do and keep your eyes on that place in the next year or so because Victor is going to be a place that's popping. Well, we've got some bills to pay, but when we come back, it's our field producer, Trevor Phipps, and our friend, director of marketing from the Rocky Mountain Vibes, Kay Goodell. So come on back. Are you tired of gambling? Or maybe gambling just isn't your thing. Then you need to come visit the historic Butte Theater, located in the heart of Cripple Creek, Colorado. Enjoy our classic melodramas, Shakespeare of the West, musicals, comedies, and our community's favorite Christmas show. The Butte is fun for the whole family. So get your tickets today at thebuttetheater.com and come join in our fun. Are you having a hard time seeing out of those dirty Colorado windows? Or maybe it's just time to finally clean those sidewalks, garages, and those stains on services around your home and office. Well, now there's a solution and it's Peak Washing LLC. Veteran owned and operated, Peak Washing LLC is your mobile window cleaning and pressure washing solution. Their services range from residential jobs to commercial projects using a safe and environmentally friendly approach. Peak Washing LLC can also clean and sanitize heavy construction equipment. There's virtually no job that Peak Washing can't handle. So call Greg at 719-651-7518 or find them on their Facebook page under Peak Washing LLC. That's 
Peak Washing LLC, your solution to that dirty job. with me, Dennis Zerl, your host today. And on the line right now, I have our field producer, Trevor Phipps. Trevor, what's going on today? Not a whole lot. How are you doing? Not a whole lot's probably a good thing. There's been so much uh, weirdness happening lately. I can't even begin to describe it all, but I, I talked a lot about that in the first segment. But uh, anyway, let's kind of recap what uh, what happened last week. And that was the city council meeting, which I happened to miss for a change because I was editing. But uh, you were you had your eyeballs on the, the meeting. What uh, kind of recap that for me? Most of it was presentations. There wasn't a lot in the way of like public hearings or anything like that. Chris Deister, the chief of police, gave two word life-saving words to two of his officers who saved lives while out on emergency calls. All right, so good for those officers for getting those awards. What else went uh, went down? Um, probably the big thing on there was uh, Tony Perry, the chairman of the DDA, gave a presentation about the approval of the Tava House development. He just kind of talked about the development itself, and then he talked a little bit about kind of the next steps, which is basically... Lawyers have to do a lot of stuff, get the contract, and then eventually the DDA will have to pay the city $500,000 for the property, which from what I understand will be replaced. I think Taba House is coming up with like eight hundred grand to pay for contracts, titles, and all that sort of stuff for the property. And then they're supposed to break ground. They want to at the end of the year, but then they said they probably won't get around to it till like April 23 by the time everything gets done or later. Um, and then Robert Zuluaga kind of was the only one that really spoke up. His main complaint was that they didn't follow the Roberts rules of order when they approved it. What he had said was that he went to the meeting and so I guess instead of making a motion, seconding the motion and then having letting all the board members have a discussion about it, they made the motion and they sent it directly to a vote and then Chairman Tony Perry had everybody publicly state why they were voting the way they did when they voted. Okay, let me let me let me get this straight back up. So you're saying that the DDA didn't follow Robert's rules of order? Yes, that's what Zuluaga was. So he was there and Rusty Neal was there as well? Yeah, well, Zuluaga, I think, was just there in the audience. Okay. So that was kind of his major complaint that he didn't like the process he went about it. Um, Tony Perry responded to that part of it and basically said that it was his choice to do what they did because he thought since it was a sensitive subject, everybody should stand up and say why they voted the way they voted. And he felt that there is enough discussion between the board members for the last like few months as the Tava House development has been presenting it. And then the other thing that Zuluaga brought up was that the, the DDA is responsible for developing the whole entire piece of land. Right now, the, the deal is that they're going to sell it to Tava House and then Tava House is going to do what they do on a portion of it. But then Tava House is supposed to partner with, I think it's David Weekly Homes. And then the home builder developer is going to, I think they said something around 60 residential units in that area. But what he what Zuluaga was saying, once the property just gets sold to the Taba house, then the DDA really has no other control to make sure that the rest of the project that isn't the Taba house and the rest of the property is going to get developed. Because once they sell it, it's pretty much they wash their hands of it. So if David Weekly Homes, all of a sudden, because there's nothing in the contract now, if the DDA sells it to Taba, that binds David Weekly Homes from doing their portion of it. So if it gets sold and then David Weekly Homes says, oh no, there's too much benzene, there's too many problems to do this, then the DDAs, basically their hands are tied and they have no control over what happens to the rest of that property. Does this sound vaguely familiar <laughs> of a case that just went through the city council? What the hell is wrong with people? You know what I mean? It's just like, okay, it's a done deal and you know you get all this good press and then all of a sudden it's like well you know, yeah maybe we just won't follow through the deal Perry responded and he kind of said that well he was just basically like well the devil's in the details because it was just it's kind of preliminary right now so I guess there would have to be details worked out in the contract that would maybe cover some of that stuff but he didn't really extrapolate on that 
But you're right. It does kind of sound familiar to care thing 10 years ago. Like, let's do this project and rush it through and then not think about uh, the details and the implications of the stuff that could happen in the future. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like everybody gets excited about this development that's happening. I'm excited about it. I think it's cool. I think it's a great thing. And if they're going to build, I don't know, townhomes or whatever they're going to do, far be it for me to say, no, you can't do that because I don't have a, you know, I don't have a dog in that fight at all. But it sounds like, I don't know what it is with business dealings up here. It's like, yeah, 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 we're going to take care of it. Everybody knows that there's benzene issues and that there's water issues on that property. So if I was a developer, I would kind of go in there first before I sign any kind of deals and figure it all out and see if it's even viable before going up. Perry said every, all the players involved know about all the issues because that group's been evaluating this project for a few years now. But then, and then when Robert tried to respond to something else, Hillary Labar stepped in and mom yelled at him for because <laughs> they can't have back to forth, I guess, during presentations. He can ask a question, Perry can respond, but then the council doesn't get to. Yeah, I mean. Otherwise, we're going to go back to having city council members pontificating for hours on end about what Trump did and stuff like that that has no bearing upon the... I, I get it. I mean... Like, she's definitely for the project. She's one of those that wants to rush it in and get it approved. But she did say that once it actually got approved through council, that's when council could look at the stipulations of the contract. Right. Right now, it's just basically a presentation. If I was some dude who just won the lottery and I wanted to buy a bunch of land up in Woodland Park and cut shady deals, now's the time to do it. It kind of goes back to the whole fight with the DDA, why all the members got basically revamped when new faction of council kind of took over. Zuluaga is kind of standing up for the old DDA board and he's bringing up issues that they were mentioned the whole time. And I think that's kind of why the top house didn't get approved the first time with the old board. So he's kind of trying to bring up issues that I think they're trying, this new board's trying to kick under the rug. Isn't that kind of the same thing that happens all over Teller County, though? It's the same thing that's happened in Florissant. It's like everybody wants to hold on to the good old days in the past instead of being in the present moment right now and saying, okay, these are the things we have to deal with. And they want to take one side with one person that they trust or they believe them everything that they say. Like, they don't want to take the time to look at both sides of the situation. That's what I'm saying. No, I, I agree with you 100%. It's just a... Uh, it's just a weird way of doing business. I've never lived in a place where everybody gets so excited and then later on down the road, it's like, oh, well, maybe this wasn't such a good deal after all. Yeah, it's because you you know, signed a bad deal. So I'm not saying that this is going to be one. I just hope it doesn't go that way. We will wait and see. Uh, another story I kind of came across today was that uh, Miss Peck was uh, formally arrested and charged with, uh, I think there were charges that I didn't see in the first articles or, or read about. What can you tell me about Samantha Peck? Yeah, it looked like they filed her with two counts of attempting to influence a public servant. And then I think she still has a count of filing a false emergency report. Um, what's unclear is, I guess, which of those is felonies, which of those are misdemeanors, because I've read both. And I haven't actually looked up the statutes. But from what it sounds like is the second charge came about because three days later, she filed another police report claiming the same thing. So she made a 911 call. The police showed up, showed up, found the person, didn't think she was drunk. So then the police pushed Samantha to come into the office and file a witness statement. And I guess three days later she did. So I think maybe they get her getting her on two different counts because of the phone call and the witness statement she filed three days later. It's all so confusing. Yeah, I don't know. But it's, but she's got uh, David Lane out of Denver, who is one of the most prominent civil rights lawyers in the state. And he's taking her case pro bono. I know that she lawyered up real quick and, uh, you know, she got a high powered attorney behind her. This whole school board thing has gone really south in a hurry. It's just, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm sick of it. It's all going to come down to a head because by the 28th, we'll know if the recall is valid or not. So just a few short days, maybe it's not even going to be an issue by the time we talk next week. Who knows? Yeah. I'm just sick of it. I'm just like, the issues have been raised are just so crazy. But I guess if you're, you know, if you're passionate for one side or the other, then, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big deal to you. To me, it's just kind of like, oh, you know, it's all gone sideways. People have lost their friggin' minds. Right. Anyway, moving along, uh, the uh, Vietnam Wall made a visit to Woodland Park, and I think you went out there. What was your evaluation of all that? I think it's kind of a cool thing that that, uh, that Woodland Park had the opportunity to see the wall. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I guess it's it's a traveling wall that's a replica of the permanent wall that's in 
Washington, D.C. area, I believe. Yeah, I've been there. It's one that they take apart and move it, and then they set it up different places across the country. Um, it has been in Cripple Creek previously is where I've seen it before. Um, my mom said that she remembered going to it when it was in Colorado Springs at one point. Yeah, basically, it's a giant wall, and it's lists every single person that was taken from us in the Vietnam conflict, and then, which is a lot of names. That's over 56,000 names. Yeah, what I also like, they also had uh, placards in a separate section that described pretty much every other war and conflict. And it didn't necessarily list all the names for all of them, but it would hit, say like World War II and it'd have information when it started, how it started, like a timeline events, and then how many people died, how many people were missing in action. And they had one of those for pretty much like every single conflict or every single event where American soldiers died all the way up into the most recent I saw was the Kabul airport attack in 2021. Wow. I Personally, I don't know anybody that has passed away while in war. So it, I think it would have been a different experience if I had known somebody on the wall, somebody's name defined, something like that, which a lot of people did. The first time I visited the wall, I have uh, several names on that wall the, of people that uh, I knew. I have a brother-in-law that's on that wall as, as well. And uh, it is a different experience when you go to Washington, D.C. It's a very humble experience when you see over 56,000 names of uh, people who lost their lives in that conflict. And uh, there is some history there. And I, I'm glad that uh, it hit Woodland Park and people got a chance to to visit it. I'm glad you got a chance to experience that. Well, one last thing before I let you go. How about some wrap up on high school sports? We're getting close to that uh, all important first football game. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming up. It's on the road at Summit. I guess it's going to be one of their toughest games right off the bat because the Summit quarterback has already signed to a D1 school. Oh, wow. In contract. And I guess he lost some of his key players last year, but this is his senior year so that's going to be a pretty tough game for them and they're really going to have to work on their coverage in their pass defense game. If you're going to go up against a highly recruited quarterback, might as well be your first game. <laughs> you know, get it out of the way. Yeah, so they're looking forward to that. The kids were looking bigger this year, and they told me that they put a lot of work in the weight room after their offseason, and then they've got a lot of freshmen this year, and the seniors are actually excited about the freshmen, and the coach told me that the seniors are being really good role models and kind of helping the coach out by kind of taking charge of the freshmen and I guess pretty much all the players and the coaches that I talked to said that they're just melding really well as a team this year. There's good camaraderie and a good team culture. Anything uh, that you know about with the other sports that are going on? Um, I know most of the other ones have started. I know that cross country had a meet already and that, that turned out pretty well for them. I'm pretty sure softball has started. Golf had a meet at I think their first tournament last week. Volleyball will be coming up. That'll probably be the big one to watch and pay attention to because they've had a really good program these last few years. All right. Sounds good to me. And, uh, you know, get out there and support those kids. They uh, they deserve it, especially for all the good works that they do. You know, go out there and cheer for them. Well, I'm hoping it's going to be a good season for them. Well, uh, we'll be letting you go and probably seeing you at a game sometime this week because the vibes are back in town and we're going to talk to Kay Goodell. So, Trevor, I appreciate you coming in as always and I'll talk to you very soon. All right. That sounds good. That was our field producer, Trevor Fitt. And on the line right now, we have the Director of Marketing for the Rocky Mountain Vibes, Kay Goodell. Kay, how are you today? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing? What a road trip the last couple of weeks. I don't even know where to go. It was heartbreaking and it was exciting all at the same time. It was a complete roller coaster and I feel like the team has been gone for months. And it's only been two weeks, but it was like the longest break we've had of the season uh, from being at home. So I'm just excited to have them back at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff. There were games where they were ahead and they lost by a run. And then there were games that they should have won and lost by a run. It was just uh, up and down. And then... We Throw a little bit of weather in there and some double headers. It was crazy. Yeah, I think we have like two rain delays, a cancel. We've got a makeup now in September and crazy comebacks to close losses. It was it was rough. Well, that just means more cocktails are going to be sold at home come uh, September, I guess. I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> well, what do we have in store this week? We got a a pretty good home stand. I think everybody's excited to see the boys back in action. Yeah, no, this is gonna. This is probably my favorite home stand of the season. Uh, they come back today. We play all week with our. our 
typical specials with the $2 Tuesdays, the Dollar Dog Wednesdays, uh, Thirsty Thursdays with those beer specials, which this week is also going to be 90s night. So I like ordered a bunch of 90s gear. We're going to have a costume contest. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, then we have our fireworks on Friday. Um, we've got three more Fridays left this season, but as an added bonus on Saturday for Paint the Park Pink, we added a special fireworks show. So we're going to give an extra little fireworks show on that. And then it's Paint the Park Pink with Great Clips and Susan G. Coleman. So that's just one of my favorite nights of the year and a great night to celebrate and honor. Speaking as a cancer survivor, that's that's always a big event for me. And uh, I think the fact that the vibes and, and the organization is putting so much effort towards that is just a fantastic thing. Yeah, it'll be great. We're going to have special uh, pink jerseys for the team that will auction off and benefit of Susan G. Coleman. So we're going to be doing a lot. There's a couple ceremonies during pregame. It'll be one of the biggest nights we have this year. That's awesome. Anything else is happening that we should know about? It's actually our last uh, Salute Sunday on Sunday where we give free tickets to military members. Now that the season's kind of coming to the close, there's an outside chance we can still make the playoff going forward, but that means that we got to win a few games. And I found that the the vibes play against the Raptors pretty well. Yeah, we did uh, phenomenal over the Raptors series, and that's who we've got this week. So I'm really excited to see how it turns out at home. Uh, there were pretty exciting games out there that they put on for the team. So interested to see how they, they show up at home. So that'll be really fun. Um, and then, of course, yeah, playoff, playoffs is the picture and the goal. And we've just got to play our hearts out and win those games so we can actually make it. <laughs> I think this is the first time the Raptors have been here this year, right? Uh, I believe so, yes. Yeah, and they're a pretty decent team. But uh, I don't know. Uh, it seems like Grand Junction has been coming along lately, too. That, those were some, uh, oh, boy, some heartbreaking losses because we really play those guys tough. Yeah, no, the Grand Junction series is always the, the most intense, I think, between between the two teams, battles of the state, sides of the state. So they always, they always go pretty well, and yeah, Grand Junction's done a lot lately. Alright, Kay, well, now, uh, there's still a chance if you want to have a party or a corporate event, all those pavilions and stuff, they're still open for rent, right? Yeah, we do have a few remaining for the season. I know the picnic chairs is limited, um, but we do have a few nights still open on those. That's always kind of the hottest commodity we have here with that buffet and the really awesome seating out in right field. I still got a be friends with that chef. Oh, he's amazing. <laughs> All right, Kay. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and coming in for a few minutes and talking to us. And uh, we'll see you at the ballpark coming up. Awesome. Yeah, I'll see you here. Thanks very much. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye. That was our friend Kay Goodell, the director of marketing for the Rocky Mountain Vibes with the Vibes Report. And I got to tell you, this season is so much different than last season. And uh, there's a few games left, so we need to get out there, cheer the boys on, and hopefully we can get some games under our belt. Well, up next, it's News of the Weird, and find out who gets the honor of being tossed on the bear pile this week. I'll be waiting for you right here. Do you have an upcoming special event and don't know what to do? In the Shadow Designs can create one-of-a-kind pieces for you. Located in the heart of Woodland Park, Colorado, In the Shadow Designs specializes in beautiful centerpieces, wreaths, and one-of-a-kind creations for your home or business. Whether it's a baby shower, celebration of life, anniversary, or corporate event, let In the Shadow Designs meet your needs. So contact In the Shadow Designs today on their Facebook page or give them a call at 818-400-1456. Let In the Shadow Designs do the work for you so you don't have to. back to the Bear Cave Cubs. I'm your host, Dennis Zerl, and it is now time for News of the Weird. This week, the headline reads, and I'm not sure how this all applies, but anyway, here it goes. It's called, They Buried the Lead, or They Buried the Lead. I'm not sure. Anyway, skydiver Gary Connors, 53, was sentenced in Oxford Crown Court in England on August 16th or grievous bodily harm after he threw his girlfriend, Tanya Brass, down a staircase. That's not very nice. 
The assault which shattered Brass's shoulder took place in October of 2020. And you may have heard about skydiver Gary Connery in the past. The now infamous abuser previously achieved his 15 minutes of fame when he served as Queen Elizabeth II's stunt double in the opening ceremony of the 2012 Olympic Games when he and James Bond, you know, the other stunt double, they leapt out of a helicopter and parachuted into the Olympic Stadium. Everybody remember that? It was a pretty cool stunt. Well, after the stunt, Connery told the BBC it has been an amazing experience. Well, guess what? Perhaps you're going to relive that amazing experience because you're going to have 18 months in prison to think about it. Nice going there, Gary Connery. And no, no relation to Sir Sean Connery. Have a nice day, Gary. Well, with that being said, let's move on and see who made the bear pile. Each week, we nominate the top events and our people who should be tossed in the bear pile and eaten by the bears. This week, the person, place, and or thing to be thrown in the bear pile to be eaten by the bears is... This is kind of a no-brainer. Comrade Fat Bastard Steven Seagal. Or being the lap dog of Vlad the Impaler. I wonder if he was making more bad movies financed by Vlad the Impaler while he's there. I can see it now. There's going to be some shots of Vlad bare-chested riding on horseback and, I don't know, eating a carrot. The nominations this week are number one, Ambassador Dennis Rodman for inserting himself into a situation and possibly making it even worse for that girl. Hey, maybe while he's there, he'll be able to uh, get into Fat Bastard's new movie. Who knows? Number two, Abuser Gary Connery for throwing his girlfriend down a flight of stairs. I'm guessing maybe a jump out of your prison window would be in order for this one. You're going to have plenty of time to think about it there, Mr. Connery. And number three, Alex Jones. For being a compulsive liar and trying to backtrack on his stories in front of a judge by lying. Good lord, this guy. Well, that's it for me this week. As always, thanks for joining me, and I hope you had a good time listening. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Abode Real Estate, The Historic Butte Theater, In the Shadow Designs, and Peak Washing LLC. Thanks to our guest this week, Kim Lodick, for coming into the Bear Cave Hotline, and our friend, Director of Marketing for the Rocky Mountain Vibes, Kay Goodell. And as always, thanks to our field producer, Trevor Phipps. If you have an event coming up or you want to become a sponsor of this show, hit us up on our Facebook page, This Week in the Bear Cave, or our Instagram page by the same name. You can access the show on Spotify, Podbean, or Anchor by Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And as always, your hate mail can be sent to, and you will know this if you listen to the podcast, This Week in the Bear Cave at gmail.com. Our guest next week is going to be Alex Jones. We want to know if it's true that he's besties with Mike the Pillow Guy. I think they are. I mean, they're kind of like the uh, alt-right Batman and Robin, right? Comrade Steven Seagal was supposed to call into the Bear Cave hotline, but we were told that he was busy in pre-production for his new documentary, Staying Fit with the Borscht Diet. Yeah, lots of booze and beats in that one. Talk to you again next week, everyone. Be well and thanks for listening. Sweet dreams, Sam and Max. This Week in the Bear Cave is produced by Animus Productions, all rights reserved in perpetuity. 